I wonder uh, this morning how many of you love, and I mean love, talking to other people about Jesus. In fact, I wonder if I were to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not going to, but if I did, and if you were honest, how many hands would actually be raised? I want to let you know that you are not alone. If you would say, I'm not sure that I would raise my hand in answer to that question about loving to talk to other people about Jesus. And I wonder why sometimes I struggle to freely and joyfully talk about Jesus. Sometimes I know it's about personality. Sometimes if you're more introverted like me, it's just sometimes difficult to talk to other people about a lot of things, let alone about Jesus, maybe particularly about Jesus. I get it. Uh, Sometimes we may prefer to just privately practice our faith and not make a big deal of it, and I get that too. Sometimes we are afraid that if we say too much or say the wrong thing or even just mention Jesus' name and that we're pretty serious about following Him, sometimes we're afraid of what others might say or what they might think about us or how they might label you from that point forward. I think we have no difficulty believing, most of us, that in Marin County, in the Bay Area, that most people are far from God, that they're They don't have a relationship with Jesus, and we've talked about in recent weeks about statistics. I want to try something here. Pretend this is like one end of a of a pole. And these two stands are a spectrum. This stand here is uh, the number one, that over there is the number ten. And uh, the number one perhaps represents those who uh, don't have much interest in God, aren't interested so much in Jesus, maybe are far uh, certainly from Him. Number ten would be somebody who's in love with Christ, the regular and connecting with Christian community, uh, participating in the ministries of the church. And uh, people, all of us are somewhere on this spectrum. People around you in your life is somewhere on this spectrum. Most people in the Bay Area and Marin County would be way down here, maybe as a one or a two. How many do you think? 70%? 80%? 99.999%? It feels like, right? Sometimes. That's okay. I mean, it's okay in this regard that it's not unusual to history. It's not... I don't want to say it's not a big deal, but it, it's not unknown to the realities of life and the realities of Christian history uh, over time. What happened, what might be, if part of our goal, instead of always just communicating the gospel with somebody, as important as that is, as important as knowing the gospel and the the clear, simple gospel message, that's why a child, the gospel message is simple. It's simple enough for a child to understand and to respond to it. Of course, the walk in life with God is so complex and takes so many different turns and uh, we can never exhaust the depth and breadth of who God is. So, of course, we'll never exhaust knowing and growing in the Lord. But the gospel is so simple. So all of us, if we proclaim Jesus, ought to have a simple grasp of the gospel and should be able to communicate it, I think, in a very simple way. We may not know answers to every question. I don't know answers to every question, nor do I even pretend to. If people ask me questions, if I don't know them, what I like to respond, I don't always do it. Sometimes, you know, pride will well up, and I'll try to give an answer even if it may not be the best. But, you know, the best answer if you are asked a question that you don't know is, that is a great question. 
I'm not sure I know an answer right now, but I'd love to go and try to find out more and maybe we could talk more about that particular question. People generally really respect that because you're honest, you're not pretending, and you're showing yourself to be an ongoing learner and that your life in Christ is growing too. Often what our goal in evangelism is if if the door opens to share the gospel with somebody, hallelujah, praise God, I hope you're able to do that. But so often in our interactions with people, it's not always down there, it's, it's down here, especially where we live. And sometimes the goal in an in interaction with somebody, a conversation with someone, might be helping them go from a number two, far from Jesus or interest in Him, and taking a step to becoming maybe a number three. And then a few weeks later, we might have another conversation and so forth. And, and we watch to see what God's Spirit is pleased to do through our lives, right? It's not just about our cleverness or how much we know or how much information we might be able to dump into somebody's head. That's not what it's about. It's about working in concert with God's Spirit and trying to be as sensitive as we can to what's happening with this person who is right in front of us at this moment and seeing how we might be a conduit and a bridge to what God wants to do in their life, how God wants to speak to them and to call them by name. That's what we're talking about today. But often it's hard to steer conversations, isn't it? We might notice an opportunity. We know a question is asked and we might sense, ooh, here's an opportunity. What, what do I do? Right? And how might I steer this in a way that's helpful? I love what one person wrote. He described uh, sometimes our, when we're trying to be intentional about sharing the gospel with somebody or being a Christian presence in front of them, there are times when uh, we try to make these, these transitions in the conversation. They're just kind of awkward. Have you ever had one of those? Where it's almost like, have you ever driven a stick shift, an, a non-automatic car? I know a lot of people who grew up in, a, in the U.S. have no idea what driving a stick shift, a standard car, four on the floor. Uh, that was my first car. Four, actually, it had five gears. But um, Stick shifts. Have you ever shoved your stick shift into the wrong gear? What sound does it make? Yeah, it is. It's awful. And your car is moaning and groaning and it's fussing at you, right? It's letting you know you did, you did something wrong. And it, it's loud and it's grinding. You can feel it in the floorboard. You can feel it in your hand. And it's this grinding noise. Sometimes when, when we're doing our best to be intentional with people and we notice an opportunity has, has emerged, we weren't expecting it, but here it is. And we want to step into it. And sometimes... We try to make these turns in the conversation. They're a little awkward. Uh, one guy talks about kind of like this. If you're watching a, a sporting event with somebody, uh, sometimes these awkward things might be something like this. And uh, The game's going on and suddenly a substitution goes in and, and your response is, at last, a substitution. Hmm, hey, did you know that Jesus could be your substitute? <laughs> That's pretty awkward, right? <laughs> or... Um, uh, how about this? They, they score a goal and you're like, great goal! Hey, what about you? What is your goal in life? <laughs> right? Or maybe this. Or you, you stand up and you're yelling at the TV or out on the field and, and you say, that was a penalty, referee! Come on! Hey, by the way, did you know Jesus came to pay the penalty for your sin? <laughs> right? Sometimes it's like that. Even in our best intentions and, and we're trying our best. And let me tell you something. If you've ever had an experience like that, it's okay. It's okay. Good job. Good effort. It's okay. You're being intentional. It's okay. Don't, don't let that defeat you. 
Don't let it prevent you from opening your mouth the next time. Try to learn from it. See if you can steer conversations a little bit differently, perhaps, in the future. But that's not what we're talking about so much today. What we are talking about is um, taking this idea that God really does open opportunities for us. And are we ready, and will we, step into them as God opens them? We're looking again in First Peter. Please open your Bibles there. First Peter chapter 3. And as you do... I want to just refresh where we are with our context. I hope you were blessed if you were able to hear the story of Mansur and Kiana last week and how God has worked in their life. And uh, they moved from Iran to Michigan to Mill Valley. And in Mill Valley, uh, their search for Jesus and His search for them uh, came together. And I hope you're blessed by their story. Pray for them as they continue to grow in their faith. We're reading through the book of First Peter and um, early today and the next week, and we'll be done with the series. Um, but remember the, the life setting where the people who first heard this letter, these letters would be written by hand, they'd be rolled up and they'd be circulated and they'd go into these little communities of faith. These particular ones seem to be scattered all about the area we now know as Turkey. And they would have their meetings, their, their worship times, and they would unroll the scroll and they say, hey, here's something from Peter. And they would read this letter out to them. And you might remember that in this setting, in this first century world of the Roman Empire, was not all unlike, it was very similar in many ways to 21st century Marin County and Bay Area life. The percentage of Christians was very small, but it didn't stay that way. And you know what? It wasn't super charismatic personalities. It was everyday people that went out doing their everyday life, living their everyday Christian life, and living their Christian lives together. That when people would look at their, the way that they, they loved each other, they would be just blown away. They, the people would come and they would, they would speak all sorts of bad things about them. They would try to besmirch their character. They would try to uh, talk all sorts of things. They would, they would be mean to them and cruel. And they would take away property at times and not let them uh, work in certain sense, instances and all sorts of things. And Peter is over coming back again and again to this reality that even if you live in a world like that, where your real Christian genuine faith is not welcomed... That's the world sometimes, right? You don't have to worry about it because your citizenship isn't here in Marin County primarily. It's in heaven, right? Because you have been born again, you are now citizens of heaven, and you're just pilgrims passing through at whatever period of history you've walked this earth, whatever country or culture you happen to find yourself in, there are going to be times you'll be out of step with that culture because of your Christian profession and the way that you're trying to follow Jesus. That's just the way it is. Even so, Peter says in verse 13, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good, right? Usually, if you're trying to do good and bring good in the world, people respect that. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened. Peter has again plucked something out of the Old Testament, this time out of Isaiah chapter 6, uh, when the Assyrian army is on the doorstep of Israel. And he is telling the, the Isaiah, God is writing through Isaiah, telling the people not to be afraid of the Assyrians. 
And they had every reason to be afraid. It was the Assyrians that God sent Noah to preach to. There was a reason, uh, not Noah. What's his name? Jonah. Thank you. I know there's an O in there. It was the Assyrians that God sent Jonah to preach to. There was a reason Jonah didn't want to go. The Assyrians were, when they went into battle, they were really nasty. They knew how to intimidate. They knew how to whip fear and to have psychological warfare. And so when Peter is plucking out this image about the Assyrians camped on the doorstep of Israel, and when Israel was told not to be afraid of them, Peter's saying, you know what? As you enter into your culture, Christian believer, lover of Jesus, even if you're persecuted, you don't need to be afraid of the threats or of the repercussions. You need to live your life faithfully in response to the living God. Peter goes on and he gives some ways on how we do that. So listen, listen. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, right? Don't, don't focus so much on there. Focus on Jesus. And my goodness, so much in our life tends to fall into place when we do that, right? It's about getting our focus right. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope, right? The first words out of Peter's mouth or out of his pen were, you have been born again into a living hope, right? You always need to be prepared to give a reason. If somebody were to ask you anything about Christian faith or about why you go to church on Easter, if any other Sunday, why do you go to this retreat or why are you part of this small group or why do you involve yourself with this Bible study? Why do you make your kids come every Sunday when they could be playing soccer or doing something else? There's opportunities abundantly, I think, in our lives to give voice gently, respectfully, to the reality of Jesus in our lives, but always be prepared, right? That's that intentionality, always being prepared. But to do it with gentleness and respect, it just seems to me, I don't know if it's social media, I don't know what it is. There's so much written about the, the repercussions of social media and how it's often used in funny ways, weird ways, hurtful ways. But there's a lot of other things, not just social media. Uh, I'm not getting down on that. And just, It just seems to me that the idea of being gentle with other people seems to be an ever-decreasing reality. And being respectful to other people seems to be narrowed in its definition, right? You need to be respectful in this way to these people, but not in these other ways to these other people. And it seems to be very narrow and even more so. I love Dallas Willard. Um, there was a book written. Uh, his daughter actually collected some of his writings after he died and wrote a book that was published last year. And I love the title. The title is... The allure of gentleness. The allure of gentleness. Here's what he says about why it's important to both speak, but to also embody the message. Right? The way you live your life as a believer and the way we live our lives together as a community, that itself is part of the gospel message. It's not just the words of the gospel. And here's what Dallas Willard says. That is why... Our apologetic has to embody the message and person we want to communicate. Only with gentleness and reverence will people be able to see, verify, 
and be persuaded to respond to what we have to say. So if we are to embody the message and the person we want to communicate, who is that? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I know we're running out of time, but I, I want to share a story with you. We, um, There's so much that happened this week, and um, I, I sat down Friday, had a, a friend of mine who also does some work occasionally around our house, uh, came over, and uh, we had a leak in our toilet, right? I mean, just the reality of life, right? So he came over to, to fix the leak. We hoped it was just the wax seal under it, but sure enough, you know what you never want to hear up. Uh, it's bigger problem than we thought, right? And you're like, oh, great. What does that mean? So we have a brand new toilet. So uh, you're all invited over to check it out. <laughs> but in the process between discovering it, it needed to be replaced and it actually being done, we knew it was going to be a lot more work. So um, he, he goes out to his truck and he, he comes in and he's got his cutting tool in big box. He's got his ear muffs. Not on his ears yet, because he's not sawing, but he's got them on his head, right? And he's standing here, and, you know, we're, we're pretty good friends. We've gotten to know each other over the years, and he's holding his tool. And says, so how was your week? I said, oh, thanks for asking. He said, you know, honestly, it was, it was pretty hard. There's a lot of sadness in the church. And he said, you know, oh, I didn't really think that maybe that's part of your job, is trying to help comfort people. And I said, yeah, you know, the old pastor joke is people ask you, what do you do the other six days of the week? Because you only work one day on Sunday, right? And he laughed, and I, I was thankful for that. <laughs> And, uh, uh, and you know, then I, he asked me another question, and I started thinking inwardly. I was like, I've got a sermon to prepare. And I had my computer there. I was now not able to go to the office. Fortunately, I'm able to be pretty portable with what I do. So I had my computer on the table, and I was like, I've got a sermon. I haven't been able to work on it all week, and I need to work on it because I need to prepare a sermon on encouraging people to talk about Jesus to other people. <laughs> So, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I don't have time for chit-chat. I've got got work to do, right? The church expects me to get this done. You know, of course, thank you, God. (laughs) Bing! The light bulb went on. I said, hmm, well, maybe this is the sermon. (laughs) I didn't realize that until Saturday when I sat down again to write the sermon. I was like, hmm. So I'm a little slow, but uh, anyway, uh, I said, so I pushed back from the table and I turned squarely to him and uh, instead of just half an ear, I gave him my full face attention and, and we started talking and I don't know why, I think just the sadness in my heart, uh, I said, you know, what? one of the things I love about Christian faith is the fact that God didn't promise to remove all of the, the hardships and the difficulties from our life. What God has promised is that he would be with us through everything. He's with us when we're standing on the mountain peaks of joy. And He's with us when we're down in the depths of the valleys. And we can't see an inch in front of our face because the darkness has closed in. And there we are. But who is with us? It is God. And so I described to him why I love Psalm 23 and have grown to love it over the years. Because it's not a psalm of death. It's primarily a psalm of life. It's a psalm, it's a, it's a writing that talks about the Lord being a good shepherd who takes us in seasons and helps us to lie down in green pastures so that in Him we might know our rest because He is the one who wants to restore and renew our soul. Then I said, I said, friend, have you ever heard of the book of Job? He said, no. 
I said, well, it's, it's one of the oldest books in the Bible. It's really amazing. It's a book about suffering. It starts off with this man named Job, and he had everything in life. He had great wealth. He had a tremendous family. He had influence. He had everything you could ever want. And just like that, in the opening verses, it's all taken away. And his wife comes and says, Job, you're suffering so much. Why don't you just curse God and die? Job doesn't do that. And then his friends come over and want to help minister to him, and they clumsily do that, right? And finally, Job, toward the end, he, he's finally frustrated and fed up, and he's like, God, what is the deal? And God gently, interestingly, reminds Job of who Job is and who God is. And he says, Job, where were you when I carved out the oceans out of the earth? And where were you when the stars were hung in the universe? And they go into this conversation, and Job's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's an amazing story. So I asked my friend, I said, that, it's that sort of faith that I love about Christian faith when we are reminded and know. It's not just something we talk about, it's something we live with. And I said, you know, there's a family member of mine who a few years ago called me up. I was just pulling in to my office parking lot. I just turned the car off and the phone rings and I answer. And this family member tells me um, that he's divorcing his wife, that she was divorcing him. And we wept together for half an hour in the parking lot. And we talked. And I said, you know, he, he's such an inspiration to me because... And I was talking to my friend here who's still holding his toolbox and his earmuffs on his head, right? So he's just standing here. I mean, we're talking for like 20 minutes. He, he must be really strong. <laughs> I said, you know, this family member of mine, he, he said, you know what, Bryce, even... The words of Job were on his lips and his heart. He said, even though God slay me, I will praise Him still. That was the testimony of Job. That was the testimony of this family member in the midst of this tremendous grief and difficulty. And that's why you know, trying to bring comfort or helping people know and experience the comfort of God, yeah, it's a part of my, my work. It's a part of my life, but... I would hope it's a part of who I am, even if I weren't a pastor, per se. <laughs> He's standing here with his toolbox and his earmuffs. I had gotten kind of misty-eyed, and he was kind of stunned. <laughs> He's like, whoa, that's pretty emotional. <laughs> said, yeah, yeah, it is. And so he said, well, I better get to work. <laughs> I said, me too. Um, so we, we went off on our work, and I don't know... On the spectrum, where this friend is, he might be at a two, maybe at a four, maybe a five. I hope that perhaps because God gave me the sense to realize this is an opportunity that has been presented. And Paul would say it in a couple of different times this way. He says, make the most of every opportunity that the Lord opens to you. And so sometimes we miss them. Sometimes I miss them. Sometimes I don't even know I've missed them. Sometimes I'll think back and say, oh, that was something I missed. I probably could have done different or more. But, you know, we keep going, right? We, hopefully we learn from it. I don't know where this friend is, and I hope that maybe if he was a four on Friday morning, that maybe by Friday afternoon perhaps he'd slid over to a five or maybe a six. And I know I'll see him again and we'll talk some more. And my hope isn't always just to open the gospel to somebody, but to help them know the reality of God and the reality of everyday living.
And that's just the thing of it, and both the good things and the real struggles. And I pray for him. You have, as we close this morning, uh, this little blue insert. Well, I invite you to take that out, if you don't mind. It says, Everyday Church on one side. If you turn it to the back side where it says at the top, Invitation. This is your invitation, hopefully today or even sometime this week. If, if you're like me, if this is something that, that you feel maybe the Lord would have you do, um, try not to wait for another seven days because it'll probably get forgotten and move down your priority list and not done. It's not, it's not an invitation to go knock on somebody's door. It's not an invitation even to engage somebody in conversation. Here's what it is. It's an invitation to go somewhere that's meaningful to you. Maybe you're around your neighborhood or your apartment complex. Maybe uh, the, uh, the town square where you live or a shopping mall that's, uh, that you frequent a lot. And just go and look maybe with fresh spiritual eyes. You know, Easter's on the horizon here in about three weeks. And with Easter, we celebrate the resurrection and the, the real life that Jesus offers. And maybe you would just, as you walk, maybe there's an empty house that's for sale, and maybe you'd pray for the people who might occupy that house one day, and pray that perhaps God would open an opportunity for you to somehow befriend them and to share the good news of Jesus with them. Maybe if you're sitting at the mall, you'd see a man walk by and you say, just in your mind, you say, Lord, the man in that hat, how will you perhaps become alive to him? Is there somebody in his life that might invite him to a Bible study or to a cup of coffee? Maybe to an Easter service? I don't know what it is. But that, that's the invitation. is just to go out and in a fresh way. We, in our leadership council, we've been talking a little bit about taking familiar things and seeing newness in them, freshness in it. And so perhaps going to an area that's very familiar to you and seeing through spiritual eyes in a fresh way what is God up to? And what? how might God want to work through you to touch your neighborhood, your apartment building, your workplace, whatever that might mean, through your personality, through the opportunities that God gives you. God's going to give you opportunities He'll never give me or anyone else perhaps in this space. But they're your opportunities that He's prepared because you're His workmanship that He has prepared in advance the good works that you are to do. That is the journey and the, the excitement of this faith walk that we have with the Lord. God, we pray this morning. Uh, we know we miss things probably more often than we'd like to, to know. Uh, we miss, I'm sure, seeing you so often. We miss opportunities, but today we, we want to slow down enough to hopefully sow into our life an awareness, a recognition that when someone is somehow asking a question around the issue of why we have hope, that we have something to share with them, we can always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask us about the hope that we have. And God, help us to do it with gentleness and respect. You've not called us to win an argument. You've not called us to beat others into intellectual submission. You called us to love and gently and respectfully share with them, both verbally and in our life and in our life together as a congregation, the ministries that we share that people can see and can hear 
the beauty of the good news of Jesus. So God, Easter is ahead. Help us to go out today or this week. Stir our hearts. Everybody can do this. Maybe it's in our car. We drive. Maybe we walk. But we pray that You would help give us Your Holy Spirit vision and insight into how You are working in the places where we are. And we ask that You would guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen.